Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Pope Francis is scheduled to arrive in Canada this weekend. He's expected to apologize on behalf of the Catholic Church for abuses to Indigenous children at residential schools. His actions are drawing both praise and criticism from Indigenous leaders and the families of those victimized over the more than 130 years the schools operated. We'll get perspectives on how the Pope will be received and whether his attention to the issue might further discussions about addressing similar abuses in the United States. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Inuit Circumpolar Council is holding its General Assembly this week. On Wednesday, delegates from the ICC's four member nations heard a report on how the organization has addressed food security among Inuit communities over the last four years. Emily Schwing reports. The ICC is a non-governmental organization that represents more than 180,000 Inuit across the Arctic, including in Alaska, Canada, Greenland, and Chukotka in the Russian Far East. Natan Obed is the head of Canada's delegation. We have some of the highest rates of food insecurity in the world, uh, uh, between 60 and 70 percent in each of our Inuit regions. And we know that we need to do much more uh, to ensure that uh, Inuit have enough food to eat. The delegations from Alaska and Canada developed the Food Sovereignty and Self-Governance Project to examine and better understand food sovereignty issues. The Alaskan delegation's cultural sustainability advisor, Verne Ognabugak, presented findings from the project to the ICC. The Food Sovereignty and Self-Governance Project builds upon the recommendation from the Food Security Report, where authors noted that a key threat to our food security is the lack of decision-making power and management. Vivian Cortes is the head of Alaska's ICC delegation. She noted that a changing climate has a heavy impact on food system security. We are seeing immense changes in the oceans and on um, our rivers and in our land and weather. Our animals in the regions that we um, live in are changing. They're moving around differently. We have experienced salmon crashes in our region, and the impact of that is not just one or two years. It's going to be for generations. The ICC holds a general assembly every four years. Because this year's meeting format is a hybrid in-person and virtual meeting, Due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, leadership has opted to report on the progress made since its last meeting in 2018. Alaska will hand over its chairmanship to Greenland at the close of this year's meeting. For National Native News, I'm Emily Schwing. This story is supported by the Climate Justice Resilience Fund. Native American businesses and indigenous artists recently showcased their work in Billings, Montana. Yellowstone Public Radio's Kayla DeRoche went to the first Big Sky IndigiFest, where one business owner talked about Native American-made products. I love sweet grass. Chippewa Cree tribal member Luann Belcourt holds up a C-shaped braid of dried grass tied at each end. We grow it and we use sweet grass every morning to pray. This is my favorite. 
Belcourt and her daughters run Creations, selling items like healing boxes that include sweetgrass for smudging, jewelry, and tea. We only sell products that are made by Native Americans. Belcourt says her daughters are artists, like her mother was. She recalls growing up and seeing items manufactured abroad and meant to look Native American. That's not Native American. You know, we have our own way of making things and we have our own philosophy behind some of the things we make. Belcourt says it's critical for Native American creators and businesses to support and promote each other. The organizers of Big Sky in DigiFest hope to make it an annual event. In Billings, Montana, I'm Kayla DeRoche for National Native News. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy, sitting in for Sean Spruce. Pope Francis is set to arrive in Canada this Sunday. He's scheduled to spend five days in the country, and this includes a visit to the capital of the Arctic Territory, Nunavut. He's expected to formally apologize for the Roman Catholic Church's role in abusing some 150,000 indigenous children at residential schools over the span of more than 160 years in Canada. This will be a follow-up to the Pope's apology he gave at the Vatican earlier this year to a delegation of Canadian indigenous people. During a prayer service at the Vatican this past Sunday, the Pope had this to say about his upcoming visit to Canada. Next Sunday, I will depart for Canada. I want to, ex I want to speak to all the people of that country. Dear brothers and sisters of Canada, as you know, I will come to you above all in the name of Jesus in order to uh, draw near and embrace the indigenous populations. Unfortunately, many Christians, including members of religious institutes, cooperated with the assimila assimilation, which greatly wounded in many ways the indigenous communities. And because of this, I recently received a few groups in the Vatican that represented the indigenous populations who manifested, to whom I manifested my own sorrow and solidarity for 
the the wounds that they received. And so now I am entering into a penitential pilgrimage, which I hope with God's grace might contribute to the journey of healing and reconciliation, which has already been begun. I thank you up until now for all of the work, the preparatory work, and for the welcome that you will be giving to me. Thank you to you all, and I ask all of you to accompany me in prayer. That audio was from the Vatican. A formal apology from the leader of the Catholic Church is significant and is welcomed by many of the country's First Nations, Métis, and Inuit leaders. At the same time, it falls short for many others who say it is too little, too late, and, and is a far cry from the justice required for an era of rape, torture, and mistreatment forced on indigenous people with the stated purpose of assimilation. We want to hear from you. Join our discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. Will this spur discussions about an apology for U.S. boarding schools? That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're also paying attention to our social media, so if you want to um, comment there, we are uh, watching uh, there as well, Facebook and Twitter, uh, also Instagram. So joining us now is Andrew Carrier. He is the Minister for Residential and Day Schools with the Manitoba Métis Federation, which is the national government of the Red River Métis. Welcome to Native America Calling, Mr. Carrier. Yes, good afternoon, Andy. All right, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so, so first off, what does the Pope's visit and his expected apology mean to you and other Métis people? Well, first of all, you've got to understand a little bit of our Métis culture as an Indigenous person here in central Canada. We were deeply impacted, like all our other brothers and sisters in the residential and Catholic schools, as to the harm that uh, did occur. I myself, uh, at the age of seven, am a survivor of a, of a sexual predator, a Catholic priest here in Winnipeg. And um, I was silenced pretty much my whole life. So this is a great opportunity to... Uh, uh, let go of some of that pain that I've harbored and the resentment uh, and the anger uh, that I have had towards the church. So this is a great opportunity to, for my own personal healing process, as well as to uh, uh, continue to let go of that anger that, that um, has been uh, um, simmering over the years and uh, decades for myself. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your experience uh, in in residential schools back then. Um, so, so you're organizing a pilgrimage of Métis elders and others to hear the Pope speak uh, on Indigenous land there in Canada. What what is the significance of that to to um, have have the community, especially other survivors, too, uh, be witness to that? Um, can you explain a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So we're having two bus loads, uh, tour bus loads, leaving Winnipeg Friday morning to uh, go to uh, Edmonton, Alberta, uh, towards uh, to be uh, be ready for the papal visit on Monday. And uh, a lot of us are are devoted Catholics. So we have uh, some of us have uh, part of our ways from the Catholic Church. Um, our lot we have not lost our faith. We have lost the faith in the church, and we need to regain that faith and rebuild the community 
we have certainly survived the last two years of COVID like everybody else. And uh, a lot of our, um, we, we have not had any celebrations of life for the departing of our relatives, our loved ones, nor are there any uh, gatherings of marriages and as well as a, a birth, uh, baptismals and so on. And these are all part of our culture and our faith. And uh, we need to work with the Catholic Church to rebuild uh, our community and our sense of, uh, of uh, belonging, belonging to, uh, to, the, to God. So this is a great opportunity for healing, an opportunity for myself to uh, let go of that anger that I that I've harbored for all these years. Uh, and it's a, and uh, as you may know, Andy, as you said, I, back in April, I was one of the delegates that went to to Rome, and I spoke person uh, to person with uh, uh, Pope Francisco, and my message to him was that the harm that occurred to me as a child lasted my whole life, and it still does. And uh, the church needs to do a better job in protecting our children uh, in their care and supervision and uh, not to let uh, perpetrators get away as they have done for decades uh, within the Catholic Church. So this is a, 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 an understanding of our past, past excuse me, as well as working towards uh, reconciliation and the um, the anger is, is, is so real and and, and, and needs to uh, we need to let it go and and uh, and work towards uh, our own healing, and, um, and and listening to the Pope's word as I did back in April. You will sense the 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 the, the uh, he is coming from a place that he understands the uh, hardship and the harm that the church has done, and he's asked us for forgiveness. And as a Catholic, um, this is the first step towards. Uh, uh, reconciliation and um, regaining our uh, our values and our families and so on. Right, it's definitely one of the goals of um, the tr- whole truth and reconciliation movement there in Canada. Um, so, uh, what what more um, after? an apology from the Pope, from the leader of the Catholic Church, what more um, could the Church do to uh, promote this healing? Well, I think the uh, in the fostering of healing to be heard is, is, and communication is vital, and to uh, set up uh, opportunities for uh, individuals as well as uh, community groups to talk about the, the hardship harm that has caused and to move forward as to what is required within each community for that healing process. And uh, as a spiritual person uh, within our own Indigenous ways, we, we need to embrace that and look at ways to uh, to uh, understand the harm and, and, to, and to put that to rest in a sense that it, it happened. That's the truth. And how do we move from here to uh, how we treat our own children and our own and our own communities, our own family values, and how important that is to come back to our values. And uh, there's room for the Catholic Church to be part of that in the healing process. All right. And so far, how have um, church officials, uh, local church leaders, uh, even uh, indigenous uh, Catholic church leaders, how have they been there for survivors and and there in um, all of this truth telling that's been going on? Well, within each community, we've uh, the uh, 
the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation has gone to each community to uh, to garner and and collect the history uh, of the abuse. As you may know, Andy, uh, uh, in uh, last uh, last year in Kamloops, BC, 215 bodies of child, native children were found at a residential school, buried in unmarked uh, graves and shallow graves. And throughout Canada, there's a lot of missing children uh, in all of our Indigenous communities that never made it home. And the parents never were told the truth uh, by the church or by 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 the the administration uh, what happened to their to their child. And some ran away and disappeared and uh, died in the process. There's a lot of missing um, information, and without that information, there's no closure. And so as part of the uh, process, there needs to be some work done in, within the community to find out who, which uncle or, or uh, which children at that time which, which have gone missing and, and approximately when. And so that there could be a, an active search for these missing children that, that have occurred. So we have a lot of uh, living uh, trauma as well as those that have perished uh, throughout the process. And we were never given the, the consideration or the right to uh, mourn for, for the loss of our children. Got it. All right. That, that rings uh, very true for here on this side of the border in the United States with um, the legacy of U.S. Uh, Indian boarding schools. Uh, we're here with uh, Andrew Carrier. He is the Minister for Residential and Day Schools with the Manitoba Métis Federation. We're talking about the Pope's uh, upcoming visit to Canada and expected formal apology for residential schools. Join our program. Uh, give us a call. We're at one 800 you're no doubt seeing a lot more murals on the walls of buildings in your city, and the works are getting more sophisticated and elaborate. The public art form is also attracting a number of Native artists who are both beautifying their urban environment and getting across the message. We'll learn about Native muralists on the next Native America Calling. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strong Hearts Native Helpline. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're hearing about the slow process to promote healing in Indigenous Canada for nearly two centuries of abuse perpetrated by the Catholic Church in collaboration with the Canadian government. Pope Francis is visiting Canada and his appearance will likely include an official apology. Will that help the healing process? You can include your voice in this discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. Would you like to see the Catholic Church address abuses at boarding schools here in the United States? 
You can also reach us at 1-800-99-NATIVE. And uh, joining us from the Haudenosaunee Confederacy in the land of the Onondaga Nation is Michelle Shenandoah. She is the director of the nonprofit uh, Rematriation, and um, she is uh, Oneida from the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Michelle. Thank you, Noah, for having me here. Of course. So in March, you took a cradleboard to Pope Francis and presented him with a challenge to the Vatican. Is the the Pope delivering on that challenge? <laughs> well, we have yet to see. I was uh, one of the delegates I served in a position as a female spiritual advisor um, <clears throat> with the delegation and was one of the last persons to uh, address the Pope in a private audience um, with the, um, there were three different delegations and and the one I was a part of was the First Nation uh, delegation. So that was, um, I brought the cradleboard in with me and um, provided, um, provided the Pope with uh, the opportunity to reflect upon all of the lives of the children were lost at residential schools and to really consider um, the devastating impacts that have happened to all of our peoples, um, and not only in Canada, but you know throughout the Americas. And to really sort of go back to the source of where um, this um, you know, position that the church has taken and given uh, access for the world to kind of take this position of superiority um, over our people, over the land, and make determinations about us with uh, without being really in consultation with us at all. I've, I've called it a, a long process of, of genocide, and that's bringing us back to the people goals that make up the doctrine of discovery. So within, um, you know, my address to the Pope was, you know, the presentation of this cradle board that I asked him to uh, to reflect on uh, overnight, and then I would come back the following day to retrieve the cradle board to uh, be symbolic of us bringing our children back home. And when the cradle board was returned, not by the Pope, but by the bishops of Canada, they did say that the Pope uh, has requested to see the cradle board again when he comes to Canada. And the bishops did say that they would have conversation uh, with our leadership about uh, the doctrine of discovery. And so we've just kind of been in a lot of uh, conversation um, as Indigenous peoples and uh, among the leadership of our nations to try to uh, coordinate, you know, the many efforts that are happening with this papal visit, including uh, these discussions. All right. So um, you you mentioned the papal bulls, and um, that's related to the doctrine of discovery in Canada. Why should we be uh, talking about that now? Well, the reason it's so important to address is that it's really embedded within the fabric of the law. Um, if we just take a look at it from how it's here in the United States, it is the basis for all of the United States claim to all lands uh, within, you know, the territories that it, it has defined as the United States. And so the Doctrine of Discovery says that Indigenous peoples 
um, at that, you know, from, from the Pope's perspective back in 1493, that we didn't have souls and we, because we weren't Christian. And therefore, that gave European explorers the right to conquest these lands and to murder, rape, and enslave our people, whatever they wanted to do, and then to just take the resources and then claim the lands and the crowns of Europe. And, you know, while that seems so long ago, it impacts us today because it's become part of how these colonizing nations from Canada and the United States and throughout the Americas have come to uh, legalize the dispossession of our lands and really our own say over our own people and our nations and, and results in acts that we see like residential schools and what has happened. It's because it's it's taking a position of uh, an assumption of, of superiority over our people and lands. So it, it really is a problem. Um, and here in the United States, it's, um, you know, it's right within the court law and is seen as, as late as 2005, cited by Ruth Bader Ginsburg against my nation, the Oneidas, and shut, you know, land claims cases uh, for our people um, uh, shut us out from the Supreme Court to be able to pursue these um, these land claims. And so it's real. And, you know, I think also it's related to missing and murdered Indigenous women because for so many of our nations, um, you know, our women really had the say over the land. So who is in the way of, uh, you know, uh, conquest and, and settlement of the lands was our women. And so, therefore, it really just created this perception that it was okay to take the lives of our women as well. And that perception is legalized in the law today. And that's problematic because the laws inform policies and policies inform education. And education informs uh, people how they come to treat each other and how they come to treat us. Got it. All right. Um, you know, you mentioned you're on the U.S. side. Uh, you work in both areas here, and there's many nations, you know, along uh, this border that um, have, uh, you know, tribes and, and clans on both sides of uh, the border. Uh, no doubt we have cousins on, on either side of the border as well. Um, but, uh, you know, the other day we talked about truth and reconciliation and what that would look like here in the U.S. Um, you know, the U.S., we're watching what's happening in Canada. We're seeing the Pope is going to come and apologize for residential schools. Um, do you think, is there momentum here? Is there more momentum here to have that kind of truth and reconciliation on, um, on this side of uh, Turtle Island? I wish there was more momentum. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I see, you know, among our leaders, they've been advocating for this truth telling to happen for generations. Um, you know, I grew up under the traditional, uh, you know, leadership within my nation, among the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And, and I've seen so many of our leaders, you know, going to the UN, you know, going to Geneva, going to all of these international conventions to fight for our rights and you can see you know ultimately that led to things such as you know um uh UNDRIP, um you know the declaration of indigenous people's rights um but as 
But, you know, interestingly enough, and even against, you know, UNDRIP, both uh, the United States and Canada voted against UNDRIP initially. I don't know where the status is right now, but um, I think the the U.S. finally signed on, but with certain um, conditions. And so you've seen Canada go through a process of truth and reconciliation, which, you know, may have its its good qualities and bad qualities, um, but they're going through the process. And here in the United States, there is not even a conversation about truth and reconciliation. And so you have, um, you know, Secretary Deb Holland, who has made some pretty, you know, um, big movements in terms of, uh, you know, calling for the investigation and starting that um, for residential schools and also for missing and murdered Indigenous women. But it seems to, you know, as like a, as, for the U.S. government and for U.S. citizens, it 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 seems to maybe stop there. I don't see there being much of a call for truth and reconciliation in the way that it should be. Um, when people look at the numbers that came out of um, Secretary Deb Holland's report regarding residential schools, there were more schools than there were in Canada, and yet you know people don't seem to be moved or shaken and when i say people meaning you know the general american public i don't see them being as as outraged or shocked or wanting to take action on it in such a big way um it sort of seems like you know oh that that happened in canada right it's it's sort of like almost not wanting to see or can't see the issues and and that's that's a that's a challenge it's a really big problem Mm, got it all right. Well, thank you so much for that, Michelle. Um, we're going to move over to um, visit with Kayla Johnston right now. She's the Supervisor of Education, Outreach, and Public Programming for the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, which is at the University of Manitoba. She is Ochapawasi First Nations. Welcome to Native America Calling, Kayla. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, you, you just heard uh, Michelle talking about um, about law and then politics. Uh, I want to ask you, how, how has this, um, how has truth and reconciliation, especially, um, you know, when it comes to having the church, uh, you know, accept responsibility and apologize, uh, how has that affected um leadership, uh, First Nations, Métis, uh, Inuit leadership, um, how has that even grown leadership in Canada? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I'd say much like the apology that's going to be given, it's really up to every individual to consider that meaning behind the words, meaning behind future actions, and to accept, forgive, or potentially reject the apology or the actions that are going to be moved. And the the quick example I'll give, because I like to be nice and concise, is the uh, Catholic Church's failure to raise the $25 million worth of funding for healing for survivors. And in fact, the the federal government had to accept or take in the, the remaining unpaid funds. Now, interestingly enough, with the apology that has been recently given during the the visit this past year, the Catholic 
Con- or I should say the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops have actually established a new fund, an Indigenous Reconciliation Fund. And so that is working towards raising those healing funds that are needed for communities. And so how that impacts leadership, how that impacts politics, is whether or not the church or the church officials are able to follow through with the action, with the promises they give. And so the more resistance or more pushback we see for them failing to fulfill these promises or failing to fulfill that that journey that should be taken towards reconciliation, the more harsh criticism we'll see, the more, uh, I should say, the lack of trust will continue to build. And so how can we move towards that reciprocal relationship that is reconciliation if if we don't see an actual genuine effort beyond an apology given? So I would say that would be coming out from those who are, you know, have their eyes turned towards this upcoming apology and what that actually means, as well as all the additional efforts that should come afterwards. Got it. All right. And um, just before the show started, um, I asked, you know, what would be, um, you know, part of the what, what's most important to you, I guess, in, in, in part of this whole conversation. And uh, you mentioned the doctrine of discovery. Um, uh, M- Michelle also mentioned the doctrine of the di- discovery. Um, how how do you want to address that when it comes to uh, the Catholic Church owning up to what happened uh, what they did to Indigenous people. In 2012, the World Council of Churches released a very great document that talked about the impact of the Doctrine of Discovery and what it encourages those member uh, churches to do. And so what they stated is that the Doctrine fundamentally opposed the Gospel of the Churches and was in a violation of our inherent human rights and of all the rights of individuals Uh, underneath their faith. And so what they urged or what they wanted to see or urge others to do is for governments and nation states to dismantle those legal structures and policies based upon the doctrine of discovery and based upon the dominance and empowerment over the Indigenous peoples, as well as to request those governments to ensure that their current policies, legislations, laws that are impacting Indigenous peoples comply with international conventions like the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So as Michelle had mentioned, there were four nations that actually opposed the Declaration, and I imagine you can pick those four nations, the United States, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And while all four countries have since made a turnabout when it comes to the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, there's still a lot of work to go. And so last year, there was a bill that had been passed to ensure Canadian law aligns itself with the Declaration's articles. However, the federal government still hasn't released a plan as to how they are going to manage to align those. And so an apology given by the church and one that rejects the doctrine of discovery will open those doors further to ensure that we can, as nations, step towards that Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and ensure the protection of Indigenous rights in our country and across the world. Okay. We got into it just a, a while ago, uh, talking about um, balancing um, Catholic identity with Indigenous culture. 
um, how do you see this apology um, contributing to uh, contributing to a balance? So this upcoming apology is one in the lines of a number of apologies. In fact, there are 18 plus apologies that have been given since the 1980s up until this year from various churches and organizations. And each one, I would say, contributes to this healing process. And for those Indigenous people who are part of a church, that hope is the apology will provide them with that comfort and give them a way to fully embrace their identity as with the Catholic Church, with these churches, through residential schools. The idea was erasure of identity, assimilation into the Canadian public body. And so there are those who are part of the Christian faith who completely rejected their own values and systems through their traditional heritage. And with that apology, one does not have to make the choice between Indigenous identity and, and the religion that they follow. And so it opens up that ability for individuals to feel that they have that opportunity to explore or relearn what might have been lost because of residential schools or these other colonial systems that have impacted them. Okay. All right, we're here with uh, Kayla Johnston from the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. Uh, We'll be back right after this break. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting Ancestors Know Who We Are, a new online exhibition that features works by six contemporary black indigenous women artists. Joelle Joyner, Paige Pettibon, Moira Pernambuco, Monica Rickert-Bolter, Stormy Weber, and Rodslin Brown, addressing race, gender, multiracial identity, and intergenerational knowledge. More at AmericanIndian.si.edu. Thank you for listening today to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. There's still time to get in on our discussion about the Pope's visit and apology in Canada. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to go back to uh, Kayla Johnston uh, over at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of uh, Manitoba. Uh, So, uh, Kayla, there were uh, at the Vatican, the Vatican visit that happened back in April, the delegation of indigenous people who went over to the Vatican to visit the Pope. There were young people there as well, a delegation of young people. How important are young indigenous people in uh, this this movement here? For myself in education, one of the wonderful things I've seen over the last five, seven years has been the fact that our younger generations are more educated than their parents or grandparents. And that's both our Indigenous and non-Indigenous youth today. And the wonderful thing about that is they're better prepared with that understanding and empathy to get a sense of what's happening in our country or what's happening in their nation right now and how it connects to these colonial histories and those assimilation policies. And with that better understanding and empathy, there are future leaders, and those are the individuals who we want to get into civic and public offices. Those are the individuals we want to have as our leaders to guide us because they are the ones taking up our our torch. So as, as 
I'll say the uh, Honorable Sinclair once said, reconciliation likely won't be seen in his lifetime, his son's lifetime, maybe not even in his granddaughter's lifetime. But if we continue on the path that we are on right now, we are setting ourselves up so that we can get to that opportunity or chance in the future where we can meet uh, on equal ground, that we have trust that is built up, and that we can support each other through that mutually beneficial relationship. And that's what the Truth Commission had originally defined reconciliation as. But depending on who you go to, who you speak to, individuals, organizations, communities, they will all have a different definition of what reconciliation means to them. And so that is of a benefit because it means those communities can construct a definition of what reconciliation is. So I imagine as we continue to move forward, our younger, gen younger generations may have a different idea as to what reconciliation is or means to them and can continue that journey that we've started. All right, so I want to go back to Andrew. Uh, Andrew Carrier, he's the Minister for Residential and Day Schools with the Manitoba Métis Federation. Uh, Andrew, same question. Where do young Métis people uh, stand in all of this uh, movement here, and what, what role would they take when um, you, know, you all go to see the Pope coming up this week? Well, we, uh, we will also have a uh, strong youth delegation going with us uh, uh, this uh, Friday. We're leaving. And what it means to the youth is to have a better understanding of uh, why we are the way we are, why we as parents and grandparents have uh, suffered uh, in silence for all these uh, decades. And so as they understand our, us a, a better, they can uh, truly make uh, better decisions for the future. As mentioned, uh, they have a better education uh, of the history and the colonization that took place. And so it's really important for them to participate, listen, and to contribute their, their impact on, the, uh, on how they feel the uh, visit of the Pope and the message from the Pope. So we need to be very inclusive. Okay. All right. So um, how else are um, community members uh, maybe getting ready for this visit? He's going to be here for uh, the Pope. He's going to be here for five days or in Canada. He's going to be in Canada for five days. Uh, how else are you guys getting ready for that? Well, we're, there, we're uh, spending a lot of time talking uh, amongst ourselves as to uh, our expectations uh, from the Pope and from the Catholic Church, which is an opportunity for uh, to reflect and to rebuild our spiritual values and what that means within us. So we include our elders, our youth, and our community members in this process. And in doing so, uh, we will uh, be stronger because of it. All right, and I want to go back to uh, Kayla Johnston. Um, how are you guys over at the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation uh, getting ready for this visit from the Pope? Well, we have our director as well as another of representatives and survivors going out to Edmonton 
for that visit, but I'm not part of that team, so I can't tell you the full details of what their itinerary is and what they're going to be doing and what that looks like, but I do know there's been discussions about bringing the banner we have in our collection, which is a very large red banner that has the names of all children who died at residential school and to have that presented and shown. When it comes to some of those those nitty-gritty details, we're looking at 69 operated uh, residential schools that had Catholic involvement, and we have identified over 1,736 students who had died, or I should say named students who had died at those institutions. So our Missing Children and Unmarked Burial Project is ongoing at this time. And recently, we are moving into phase two of the project. So not all of the records had been searched during the Truth Commission's mandate. So we're continuing that research, and we've identified just over 400,000 records that need closer examination to try and identify more of those children who might be mentioned in those records. So that is something that's at the forefront of our minds. Okay. So where are you in the the healing process? Is there still a lot of concern and contention? I mean, do you see that, uh, you know, healing movement uh, diminishing over time? Depends on which way you look at things. In, in mm. 2018 and 19, I traveled across the country speaking in communities to gather the sense of what uh, the Children's Memorial Register would look like as well as lessons learned over the settlement agreement. But what we heard as we traveled along with Resolution Health Support workers is there's more of a demand today from our intergenerational survivors who are needing that assistance through healing, through um, learning about themselves, that culture and language revitalization. And unfortunately, the funding wasn't there as much as it was before because the settlement agreement had wrapped up a lot of its components. Now, with the unmarked burials that are being identified across the country, we are seeing a push for funding to provide these survivors, whether direct survivors or intergenerational survivors, the funds needed to address that healing as many just did not have that opportunity when that truth commission or those other components were running. So I'd say there's that opportunity, especially with the uh, new funds that are being developed to address the healing that's still needed. Okay. Do you get a feeling that some people are being left out of this process and are there any ways to better include everybody? There are individuals who are left out of this process, and I'll, I'll throw some more statistics towards your way. So there are 141 recognized schools under the settlement agreement, but there are over 1,500 institutions put forward for recognition. So only 9% are recognized. So individuals who suffered the same source of abuses at these residential schools have been excluded. In some cases, there are settlement agreements that were created to address those discrepancies, but there are other institutions such as Indian hospitals and sanatoriums or residential schools that were run solely by the province or territory or run simply by the religious institution who are also excluded. And so the, the number of individuals who've been impacted by this history is always much greater than the number of schools or the number of survivors that have been posted that we know of. And we also have to think beyond those who were directly impacted. And again, look to those future generations 
who have inherited that trauma as well. And so there's the big, the picture is much bigger than what people normally expect. And so that healing that's needed is also much bigger. All right. If we could look forward, uh, look into the future, what comes after this apology uh, from the Pope? Uh, are there next steps uh, that are necessary by the Vatican uh, or, or the Canadian government? I would say next steps from my perspective is to see whether or not the Catholic Church is able to raise those healing funds. They have stated that they're hoping to raise $30 million by January of 2027, and that money would go a very long way to addressing the needs that we see in community. In addition to that, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done regarding the unmarked burials. And so we have 69 schools. Uh, A number of communities have begun that work but there are anywhere from one to three unidentified burial sites per school. So we're looking upwards of 400 sites that need to be searched. And again, that's just recognized schools. That's not looking at unrecognized schools or other institutions that may also have unmarked burials that were run or had involvement of the Catholic Church. So this really is the the start of what needs to be done and we have a long way to go to really begin to address some of these legacies that have been left behind all right um I'd like to go back to uh, Andrew for this next question um you're the minister of um Minister for Residential and Day Schools with uh, Manitoba Métis Federation. Um, What about the impact of abuses at day schools? How much is that part of this whole discussion? Well, it's certainly, as mentioned by Kayla, that uh, uh, it's just scratching the surface. I myself am a survivor of a day school, cafe school in Winnipeg, uh, where we're closing down residential schools where the priests uh, who were teachers and the nuns who were teachers uh, were leaving residential schools, coming to Winnipeg, and continued on their way to identify Métis and Indigenous students and treating them as, as terrible as they did back in residential. And so we are scratching the surface, and we're working in the healing process with individuals that have come forward that have suffered um, abuse. Uh, we, and, of course, we're talking about sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. And if you weren't uh, uh, targeted by the nuns, uh, the other fellow students that would have uh, gone through the trauma of witnessing the abuse, uh, for example, because you're Métis, you weren't allowed to go to the washroom. So a lot of little Métis children would have accidents right in the, in the class and um, be ridiculized by fellow students and, and uh, um, talked down by, by the nuns and, and the, who were teachers or by the priests. So these are all realities, and um, we are working with individuals on individuals. They're not part of the class action uh, suit uh, for residential uh, schools. Uh, there were Métis uh, students that uh, that were registered in uh, residential schools, but a lot of the uh, Métis uh, went to uh, uh, Catholic-run uh, public schools that are not uh, that did not fall part, as uh, mentioned. Uh, just recently that they, they weren't part of that. So there's, we're just scratching the surface and working with individuals and working through the trauma 
and and to hear their truth, uh, be, and let it be known, and addressing them on a case by case basis. There are some uh, schools that there is such a large volume uh, that class actions uh, class action suits are going on against the uh, church uh, for specific schools where there's uh, where one individual thought they were alone, and when and speaking about their uh, their experience and their abuse. Uh, found that uh, you know 10, 15 other students in that same class year were uh, were victimized, and so by communication, by by communicating and, and talking about it, it brings the, to light the horrors that uh, children uh, were put through uh, in, a, in a, all in the price of learning or to um, uh, they tried to make us to colonize us better. We lost our language, our culture. And we were ridiculed just for the color of our skin, and that is unfortunately the 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 reality that uh, we are faced with, um, and as a survivor. All right. Um, so we're coming to the end of uh, the hour here, but I want to ask you: Do you think there's um, going to be more church attendance, more people going back to the church? after the the popes and the the church's efforts here for reconciliation i think that it will be the first step uh andy um the 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 church has gone down uh the catholic church uh uh understandably have lost a lot of its uh parishioners uh from these abuse and the tolerance so I see that there's a there certainly is a need to come back to the church, uh, but in uh, it, under our uh, our expectation to meet our needs and um, to meet the needs of our faith, and so it uh, it's an opportunity to re- restructure and and uh, uh, ensure that there's a, a place for the Catholic Church within our community in a healthy uh, and, and in a good way. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today's show. I want to thank our guests we had today, uh, Minister Andrew Carrier, uh, Michelle Shenandoah, and Kayla Johnston. We're back again tomorrow. We will hear from Native artists about what it takes to paint murals and tell stories in public places. I'm uh, host and producer Andy Murphy, filling in for Sean Spruce. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is, find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. CMS program contact local Indian health care provider center for medicare and medicaid service
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.